Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Yeah, okay, yeah. Ben, it's working. <laughs> you said it might not work. Okay. Um... You will know if you just come here even occasionally over the last few weeks that we are doing a series on evangelism and um, at the heart of that is a, is a recognition that uh, evangelism is something that we, we're called to do and it really begins in prayer more than anything else. It's not a random thing about running around talking to people, it begins with prayer and we've been a uh, Praying for people, we've got our, our basket, just in case you've not seen that or you don't remember it, although we looked at it last week. We've got our basket of, of just balls with people's names on, and these are people that we've been praying with for numbers of weeks. And um, I want to encourage you to continue to pray for people to be saved and to be added. I don't want you to think to yourself, oh, well, I've not seen much happen, so I'll stop praying. Actually, prayer is something that we need to persevere in. Um, uh, regularly, so this week we we come to uh, uh, I come to speak on the Great Commission. To be honest, Phil was going to speak on this a few weeks ago, and uh, he, he didn't. I don't know what happened, but he didn't. He just spoke on something else. So. <laughs> I got to know Phil like that quite uh, when he first spoke here. I realised I said, "Oh, Phil, why don't you speak on this?" And he just spoke on something else. And so I realised, "Oh, you just need to give Phil like a general direction." Um, uh, you know, and, and he'll bring something out. Uh, it'll be really good, but it won't necessarily be what, you're, what, you're, what you've asked him to. So, um, <clears throat> and you realise that he's not actually rebelling, he's just being Phil. That's just, what he, that's just how it works. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's great. And I wouldn't be without him here. So. Um, so I thought, well, since you didn't speak on the Great Commission, I'll speak <laughs> on the Great Commission, and, and I will work at this so I've got something uh, to say. I haven't had as much time preparing as normal, that's, but that's just totally my own, my, my own fault. So I just hope that God will bless what I have to say. So if you've got a Bible, it, it will come up on the screen, but and it's good if you've got a Bible and you've not looked at it for a little while, open it up in Matthew 28. So Matthew 28 and verse 16 to 20, and it says this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In the Amplified, that last verse puts it this way. Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you and behold... I am with you all the days, perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion, to the very close and consummation of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, we're just aware that we, when we come together on a Sunday, that we, we come together around the thing that changed history. We come together around a message that's the greatest message that's ever been told. We come together around um, a relationship with a God that we, on, in our own merit and selves, have nothing to do with. We cannot reach you in and of ourselves. But we come together, Lord, and we come to you because of what your Son did, Father, because you sent your son and because he died and because he rose, we now have life. And Father, it's my prayer that we will not only be grateful for that, but Father, we will be stirred to let others know that. Father, that we wouldn't settle with lifting our hands in worship and wonder at the security of knowing you, but we would be provoked even today to take that very message into a world that needs it so desperately. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For the Christian, this is a very familiar passage. And uh, it's not necessarily familiar if you're not a Christian. You wouldn't necessarily know it um, about it. But what you need to know is the reason that Christians, if ever they do, run around and tell people about Jesus is partly because of this passage. Yeah, this is the motivation, because when Jesus rose from the dead, when he met his disciples, he said to them, go, go. And so it's a real motivation for Christians. And uh, whether that's personally or in the church or in different ways. Um, and so for the Christian, it's very familiar. Uh, for the, if you're not a Christian, if you're not churched, it won't necessarily be so familiar to you. But what I hope, though, is in its familiarity, we don't miss it. We don't miss what this passage is actually trying to tell us and that we seek to align ourselves with what the word of God says and not necessarily what other things tell us, even things in our own hearts, that we must come aligned to the scriptures. And so today I'm I'm going to say things because this passage is very clear about what it's saying. It's giving us the, the great commission. You can read the Bible, and and the Bible says of itself that all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God or the person of God uh, can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what the Bible says of itself. But don't be fooled into thinking that every single verse in the Bible has the same weight and meaning. They don't. Some things have greater weight and greater meaning. So one of those examples, Genesis, Genesis 12, verse um, 1 to 3, where it talks of where Abraham meets with God and God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. 
And through you, I'm going to bless all the nations and you're going to be a blessing. That is a very, very significant passage in the Bible. Why? Because it's a promise. God has made a promise to Abraham. And actually what you find in this particular passage is the beginnings of the fulfillment of that promise. And so what does that tell us? It tells us really that God is faithful. That God began right at the very beginning. He called Abraham out of nowhere. He spoke to him and he led him. And he he did all this stuff around Abraham, uh, Isaac and Jacob. And right here, thousands of years later, he remains faithful to that word that he spoke to Abraham. And so we're just going to come to this word because this passage is massive for the church. It's massive for us. Because it's the point where Jesus gathers the disciples before he ascends into heaven. He's risen from the dead. He's completed the work that he was called to do. He he ascends into heaven and he says, and he, he calls them together and he tells them something. <clears throat> so what I say, I'm not in any way wanting to <clears throat> offend people, not, not intentionally. But I'm aware that some of what I say might challenge people this morning. Rick Warren, when he was speaking about the church, <clears throat> and he was asked this question, what would, you say to, what would you say to the church today? His answer was something like this, and I, I read it yesterday. His answer was something like, I would say that my generation got it wrong. And we got it wrong when we took the message and we didn't seek to act to apply that through the local church. He said, we got it wrong. And he, he was saying that because I don't want the next generation to get that wrong. To take this message, to take the mission of God and apply it in a way that it was never designed to be applied. You see, the Great Commission, if you read it, is actually quite specific And we're going to go through it bit by bit. But for many Christians, for many Christians, the Great Commission, for whatever reason, has been diluted and it can be something like this. Christians are to go into all the world and help those in need in some way. And I will give you success and influence and this will be the sign that I'm with you. That is actually how many Christians function. That we are to go into the world and help those in need in some way. And that Jesus says, I will give you success and influence and this will be the sign that I am with you. But actually when you go through the Great Commission, you find that it's not that broad. He's actually a little bit more specific about what you are to do. And the background, as I say, when Jesus called his disciples, he had risen from the dead. There'd been a moment where the women had seen him, that they had gone and testified to his his being raised from the dead, that the authorities had heard that Jesus had raised from the dead, and they were now thinking to themselves, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they hatched a little plot with with the soldiers to tell people that someone had stolen the body and that something had happened to Jesus because they didn't know how to explain the tomb being empty but it was empty and then Jesus met with his disciples on a few occasions and then he finally meets them and he gives them this commission 
So some amazing things have happened. The disciples have been with Jesus for three years. They've seen miracles. They've seen signs. They've heard amazing teaching. Then they've seen him die and they've seen him rise again. That's what's happened. And it says this. They worshipped him, but some doubted. So even after all the signs and the wonders and the miracles and the teaching, some still doubted. They worshipped. And so I, I, I've just got this picture in my mind of people, and maybe it's a, you know, it's a group like this. Some of us, we're worshipping, but some still doubt. We don't all have the same level of faith. It's not like we're all A-star levels of faith. And actually, sometimes our faith, on one day it feels like it's an A-star, on the other day it feels like I'm a U today. I'm a U. Last week I was an A. And then I saw myself going down, I was a B, and then oh, I went back up to it, and then I went down. Faith seems to operate like that. And so when I read that and sort of focused on that, I thought, uh, do you know what I thought? I was encouraged. <laughs> I was encouraged because I realised to myself, oh gosh, there's this, there is this absolute mix of people and within people that I worship him. I do not doubt that Jesus is the son of God. Oh, but God, I can doubt at times. And I can doubt myself. And I can doubt what I believe. And there are moments when that can happen. And even in this room, some of us are worshipping him. But we doubt. We doubt. So in a way, we're no different to some of those among the 11 who worshipped, yet they doubted. But I have to say this, God does respond to faith. God responds to faith. God can't help but back up faith. So you can doubt and you can struggle, but if you can get to that point where you can go, oh God, I've got all these questions, I have all these things that I'm not sure about, but I trust you, Lord, I trust you. If you can get there, he backs up faith. He comes to faith. He can't help but respond to faith. Faith is almost like a trigger for God. Oh, this guy, they, they believe it, they believe it. He comes to you. And what does the Bible say? Faith as small as a mustard seed. Now, I'm sure you can have even smaller faith, but a mustard seed's pretty small. It's pretty small. You just need to have some faith, and God will strengthen you and will come to you. So the first thing I found was that they worship, but some doubted. And uh, that's interesting, that's right there at the Great Commission, at the end of the time when Jesus was on this earth. There were people who worshipped. He had conquered everything. They worshipped, but some doubted. That's real. Secondly, it says this, all authority has been given. That's what Jesus says. All authority has been given. Jesus was given authority when he rose from the dead. It, to be honest, it was conquered. It was the cross that won it. it. But his resurrection simply confirmed what the cross really meant. Had he not raised from the dead, he would have just been another person who died on the cross. But because he raised from the dead, that cross, the cross that Jesus died on, was suddenly a cross of hope. It wasn't that you, could, you just needed to die and all your sins, they took you to death. No, it was a cross of hope. It became hope for the people. And he was given authority. And that meant he had power. It meant he had permission. And it meant he had position. Jesus had some things. 
all of which were won at the cross and confirmed at his resurrection. And his authority was a legal position. It wasn't just that, you know, he was like trying to sort of, sort of play a game. He was now legally in a position of power and in a position of, uh, with permission, and he was in that position. In our society today, we don't like the word authority. We really dislike the word authority. In fact, you know what I did yesterday? I put in on, I put in on Google authority. I was trying to see some of the differences between authority and influence, and I put that in Google. And all these sort of business models came up, and not one of them commended authority. In fact, what they were saying were things like, actually, how to, how to have influence when you don't have any authority. Yeah? It's almost like authority is something that we have put away. We don't like it. We, we, we don't even like the word authority. And that's how our society functions. And do you know what? That's spilled over into the church. We don't like authority. We don't like the idea of people in position. We don't like the idea of power, people having permission. When we think about authority, we associate it with autocratic sort of leadership. We associate it with old men. Don't we think, of, oh, yeah. And, and when something happens, we talk about the people in authority. We don't necessarily know who they are, but the people. They're out there somewhere. They have authority. But it doesn't need to be the case. You see, influence, to a degree, is great, but it doesn't carry ultimate decision-making. Influence isn't what decides stuff. You have decisions are made because people have authority. I don't mean to give a silly example, but if you think about all the places in the world today where, where the world is at war, where there's conflict... Do you know what? It's not because there's been influence, but somebody, normally somebody with authority, has made, oh, we're going to crush that. We're going to do this. I'm, I have authority for these two million troops, and I'm going to use... You've got authority. Authority is massive, and it still exists. We sometimes live, though it doesn't exist, but it still exists. Think about your local MP. Yeah? You might have an issue over something, yeah? And you can shout and holler, you can phone them up, and you can write letters, but you have absolutely no authority to change anything. They do. They do, but you don't. You can, you can knock on their window, knock on their door, you can get a thousand people outside their house and make all the noise you want to make. Now, they might be persuaded, they might be, but they just might not be. The point is, it's where the authority sits. It's not where the influence sits that counts. Spiritually speaking, we're like MPs. And we're in a government which has an absolute authority. We're not a business with influence and money. Do you know why people lobby? They lobby people who have authority. They lobby people who can actually do... No one lobbies me. Yeah? No one comes to me and says, well, I'll give you £5,000 if, you know, if, you you know, if you do something about the college. Well, you can give me the money. I'm not going to do anything. I don't have any authority here. I can phone people up, take someone out for dinner, but I don't have any authority. But we, as Christians, we are the spiritual parliament, absolute majority. We are like government officials with power, permission, and position. The opposition can shout and holler 
all they want, but they don't have that. They can't change anything. But do you know what's happened in our generation, and I think it's really sad, is we've given that up. We've almost given up that, that power, that authority, and we've put that down for the sake of influence. And we now try and influence situations that actually we spiritually have authority over. We put down the authority and we pick up influence. We pick up influence. You see, God works through authority. He always has. You know, the son always submitted to the father. There was never a point where the son said, if I could just influence the father here. Yeah, I think that we should go this way. I need to just influence him. See, no, he just submitted. He submitted. He submitted. Always submitted to the father. And he says to us, don't abdicate the spiritual authority. Jesus died and rose again and was given authority and he gave it to his disciples. Don't abdicate spiritual authority that God has given you. Do you know what? When you raise children, you have authority. But do you know what sometimes happens as a parent and you get into like, you know, with your seven-year-old, you get into a shouting match. It's almost like you put down your authority and you become a sibling and you're fighting it out with them. And who's, who's got the strongest will? No, you, as a parent, you have authority. It's just there because you're the parent. It's not because you're a better personality. It's not because you're mature. It's because you're a parent. And we have authority. Now, exercising authority does require wisdom. It does require wisdom, but you do have it. You do have it. And so Jesus was saying, all authority has been given to me, everything, it's all been given to him. He suddenly, he's won. It's all over. The battle's over. Yes, the enemy shouts and hollers. Yes, the enemy gives the impression that there's this sort of equal battle, but there's not really. Legal authority sits in the heavens. Jesus sat down, and he sat down because he completed the work. He finished. So then the passage tells us, because of that authority, we are to go. Go. Now, I don't know about you, I, I, because I grew up going to church and I grew up in a, in a youth group, um, and at 15, I wasn't, I wasn't a very thoughtful person, particularly. Um, well, at all, really. And, and I remember we would go and play games in the park, and I was the sort of person that when we went to play games in the park, uh, you know, we'd get to the park, we'd get out the car, and I would just run, yeah? I'd just run and shout and just make noise. I wasn't particularly interested in what the rules of the game were. I was just out there having a good time. It was Friday night and I'm out and there's girls and there's me and I'm running around, yeah? That's what I was, that's a bit what I was like, yeah? So I wasn't interested if someone said, no, come, 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 let's just explain the game. Let's explain the rules of the game. No, no, I'm, I'm just going to run. I'll just catch up with it as we go along, yeah? That was my kind of attitude and then do you know what even when we you know we get married and as a family we often on holiday we play games we don't play so many games at home now um, but I realized that when we play games we have completely different rules yeah if you played in with our family at Monopoly you'd thinking is that the same same game that most people play because it's probably not we change the rules and we do things our own way and I remember my nephew came he said you don't even play the proper rules I was like don't we yeah I thought that we were playing the rules but some of us can be like that. And I know I was like that. I'm just so eager to get on with the game, I failed to listen properly to the instructions. This, this is how the game's played. Yeah? So eager to get on with it. 
Or, as I just said, some of us used to change the rules. Even as we played, oh, okay, that will be in then. Yeah, that, we'll count that in this time. In fact, my love, let's be honest, Pauline, she's the worst at rules in games. Yeah, she doesn't even, she doesn't even pretend to know the rules. She just plays the game, however she wants to play the game. Isn't that true, my love? Yeah, yeah. I'm okay on that one. <laughs> Some of us, others of us were just so eager, as I often was when I was a teenager, that I wouldn't even, I just wouldn't wait to hear. And then there's others that maybe we just find we're willing to wait for 30 seconds to hear an explanation, but after 30 seconds, oh, it's just too complicated, I'm off. Yeah, it's too much. Yeah, I can't read it, I can't be bothered. Yeah, or you get a computer and you're, you're trying to fix it, you don't know how to fix it, you read the first paragraph of the instruction and you just, oh, I got confused, so I'll just put it down, and then I try to fix it. But I don't actually know what I'm doing. Sometimes we can be like that as Christians. Sometimes we just fail to listen properly. We change the rules. We don't wait to hear the instructions before we head off to do our thing. Sometimes we just find it too complicated, too restrictive. But we still expect the same results as if we had given proper heed to the instructions. This passage is a clear example. Some of us have just heard the word go. We've heard the word go. And so we're off. And what are we off doing? We're just off helping wherever we think help is needed. We're just helping. And please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't help. I'm not saying people don't have needs and they need to be met. But that is not what Jesus sent us to do primarily. That is clearly part of it. But it's not primarily what he has called us to do. But some of us, we just hear go and we're off. We haven't waited to hear the rest of the commission. Now, there's a balance to that because, because the, there's a famous story about Hudson Taylor and he was in a church down in Brighton and he, and he talks about this moment where he's, he's, he's inside this church and it's the last final song and there's a thousand people in this building and they're singing and they're worshipping about how wonderful God is and how secure they are in their faith. And he's there in that meeting and he, he walks out of the meeting and in his spirit he's offended. He's struggling because he's thinking, we're singing about our security in God and there are millions of people around the world who don't even know he exists. So there is a little bit of a balance. You can't just go, yeah, no, it's great, let's just get in there, worshipping God and all that. There is a place for that and that must be there. Because if that is not there, then we're not church. If we do not worship him, we can't really represent him. That must be there, but it's not enough. Ultimately, it will be enough. But while we're here on earth and the Great Commission still is still in play, it's not enough just to worship him. He said, go and make disciples. So we are called to go and make disciples. And they're not our own disciples. I'm not making anyone disciples of Owen Hilton. But we are called to make disciples of Christ. What's a disciple? They're people who follow 
They're people who imitate. They're people who live and abide by the teachings of Christ. The entire book of Matthew, and actually the Bible, is about building this discipleship. That's what it's about. How do, how do we disciple people to the point where they are followers of Jesus? How do we help them on that journey? We are all disciples of Christ and are commanded to make more disciples. But making disciples is different to getting people to respond on a Sunday. It's different to just people showing their hand and praying through, through a prayer. A disciple is a follower. It's someone who goes with. Do you know what? At the heart of discipleship is complete surrender to Jesus. That's the heart of it. So if we can stand and say or sit and say, yeah, do you know what? I'm surrendered to Jesus, then you're a disciple. Now, the truth is we, we go through the battle. You know, you read about the story of Peter and he wasn't always surrendered, but and he, he, was, he had to struggle with the reality that, oh, I'm not as surrendered as I thought I was. But that's our heart, to be completely surrendered to Jesus. We're called to make disciples. Then it says we're meant to make disciples of all nations. We are called to make disciples of all nations. And this is not only in a, the fulfilment of what I talked about in Genesis 12, where it says you're going to be a blessing and, uh, to all nations. That's what the promise to Abraham was, that God was going to bless Abraham and through Abraham, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. That is part of the fulfilment. But it's also to prove the universality of the gospel, the inclusivity of the message. John 17 says, my prayer, this is Jesus praying, my prayer is not for them alone, but for those who will believe in me through their message. And we are part of those who believe through the message. All this time later, thousands of years later, we believe what they believed. What the disciples believed is what we believe. The message was given through those fishermen and few others. Do you know what's interesting about that? Is the gospel was always going to have an element where it was cross-cultural. It was always going to cross cultures. Because you could never reach the nations without doing that. So we need to be wise and we need to be humble about how we do that. I mean, we are fortunate. I don't know whether you ever think about this because we live, we live in London and we don't get much sun. We get lots of rain and, you know, it's a bit smoggy at times and we get hay fever. Lots of us get hay fever. But we live in one of the few places of the world that is like they call a global city. There are six global cities in the world and London's one of them. And it's so connected. It doesn't actually reflect or represent the nation that it's a part of. And London doesn't do that. There are, there are so many different nations represented here, so many different peoples represented here. It's almost like God, in his purpose to reach the world, has gathered into some places the world. And if the church sees that, if the church gets that, we go, oh, if we just reach people here, we could almost reach the world. I don't even need, I just only need to get a bus. I don't, I don't need to jump on a plane. I don't need to learn another language. I just need to get a bus. And I could, I could in this place alone, there are maybe 100 different languages spoken. We could reach the world. And that, that's God's doing. That's not our doing. Nobody manufactured the world would become this big global village. No, no one decided to do that. Those are things that God does. And that we as the church are to recognise it 
and, and work to it and work with it. So we are to make disciples of all nations. Now, how do you do that? You baptise them. That's the first thing it says you do. You baptise them. What's baptism? It's a tangible way in which people acknowledge publicly that they are followers of Christ. And you see it. You begin to read it in Acts. People were being baptised all the time. That first, that first preach that Peter did after the Holy Spirit came upon the Pentecost, 3,000 were baptised. They were baptised. They joined the church. It's a public statement of intent. It tells the world, you know what? I belong to Jesus now. Now, we know in some places in the world, making that statement is literally life-threatening. It's not here. So if you haven't been baptised, think about it. Consider it. Consider it as the next step for you. In Romans 6, it talks about baptism being this symbol. We're baptised with him into his death and we're raised with him into new life. That's what Jesus told us to do. That's why Christians baptise. And we're to baptise them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. What does that tell us? It puts Jesus into the Godhead. It makes Jesus who came to earth. It makes him divine. If you never thought he was divine, even that alone tells you, oh, there's something different about Jesus. Until that point, people would have accepted the Father and the Holy Spirit. But suddenly Jesus, the Son, he takes his rightful place as the only begotten Son of the Father. It's part of the commission. And then it says that we are to teach them everything I commanded. That's what Jesus says. Teach them everything I commanded. So again, we're not just seeing the importance of God here. We're seeing the importance of Jesus saying, teach people everything I commanded. Everything. What did he command? John 15, love one another as I have loved you. You are my friends if you do what I command. His teaching denotes relationship. It's not just some rules that you follow. It's not just the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. It's relationship. Love one another as I have loved. By this, by your love for one another, people will know that you're my disciples. That's about relationship. That's about humbly connecting with other people. That's what we were to teach them. To bring people to this knowledge and understanding of who God is. That's why God came to Abraham. He wanted to show the world what he was like. And he did it through a relationship. And then it says, I will be with you always. You see, the promise of obedience to the word was his presence. The promise of you be obedient, you, you go make disciples of all nations, you baptise and you teach, I'll be with you. I'll be with you if you do that. I'll be with you. I promise I will be with you. And I'll be with you to the very end. So when you go and you're doing that, he's with you. But you need to remember this. God sometimes blesses stuff. He sometimes blesses stuff. You just need to look a little bit in the Old Testament and you see that God blessed Ishmael, but Ishmael was not part of the promise. God blessed Esau, but Esau was not part of the promise. God said to Moses, look, 
um, he, was, he was annoyed with the people. Yeah? God was annoyed with the people. He said to Moses, do you know what I'll do? I'll send an angel with you. I'll send an angel. Yeah, you go and you'll be blessed. I'll send an angel with you and all this stuff, but I'm not going. I'm not going. And so at that point you go, I mean, some of us might go, oh, okay, then we'll just take the angel and off we go. Yeah, but Moses was like, ah, God, yeah, I don't know exactly how he did it, but let's just say, but God, God, don't do that. Don't do that. Because if you do that, if you send an angel, no matter how strong and powerful that angel is, if you just send an angel, how will people know that we are your people if you're not with us? Better we don't go anywhere. Better we sit here and just hang out than go anywhere if you're not going to go with us. Because if you don't go with us, no one will know. You're the thing that makes it unique. You're the thing that makes us different. You're the thing that separates us out. It's not our efforts. It's not our motivation. It's not our gifts. You're the thing. You see, God was prepared to bless them. But if they weren't going to follow his way, he wasn't going to go with them. The manifest presence of God wasn't going to go with them. I think there is a link between the obedience to the commission and the promise of his presence. It was the distinguishing mark of the people. Because if he's not with us, what we become is a group of highly motivated, community-orientated people. But the people of God are more than that. We're not simply to be motivated by the gospel, but we are to take the very gospel that motivates us into the situations we find ourselves because that's the only thing that transforms. That's why Jesus rose. That's why he conquered sin and death, that we might take that message to others who can come to that same understanding. It is a motivation, but it's more than motivation. It's only the gospel that has the power to transform. So Jesus has this conversation with his disciples on the mountain that he told them to go. Some of them are doubting. They're all worshipping him. You just roll that story forward a little bit and you enter into the book of Acts. What did they do? They planted churches. They planted communities where, um, they, planted communities where they could express the love that God had given them in order that people might know that they are his disciples. That's what they did. They planted communities. The whole of the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament, is simply about those communities. It's not about issues. It's about communities. All those epistles in the New Testament are written to people. They're written to groups. They're not just written to individuals. They're talking about how to live the life of faith, how to be a disciple, how to follow. They're correcting, they're rebuking, and they're encouraging. It's in that context that he gives us authority. Do you know what? Even where it's done badly, as Moses said, better not to go if you're not going. It's better not to go. See, so God is calling us in the 21st century, 
I suppose to answer the prayer that Rick Warren prayed that the next generation wouldn't do what his generation did which was to almost ignore the church and go and help now it's not to say we shouldn't help but we have to get this right we must resist the temptation to give up God given spiritual authority for influence which we gain you gain influence through helping through meeting needs. All of those things are important, but we're not doing it for influence. We have spiritual... God is over all of this stuff. There is nothing that he's not in control of. Secondly, we must resist the temptation to simply respond to needs rather than to make disciples. And I understand, times you have to get to the need before the... But that has to be in there. Discipleship. That's what we're called to do, to make disciples disciples to baptize and to teach that has to be the focus and we must learn to be patient and humble i.e we need to be submitted whilst we wait for god to fulfill his purposes this is not that rhetoric you know just do something. God doesn't work like that. Just, just do something. There's, there's so many needs. Just do something. No, no, no. If you're not sure what to do, pray. I know that, that sounds really twee, but that's what I honestly think. If you're not sure what to do, say, God, and pray into those needs. God answers prayers. God answers prayers. But we must learn to be patient. We must learn to be humble, and being humble is to be submitted And ultimately, if we follow the example of the disciples, we will plant communities. We will plant people together in order that we can fulfill the Great Commission. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would allow your word to, to speak into the hearts of those who are open, willing to hear, to listen. Father, in some hearts you'll bring correction and you'll realign people. In other hearts you will bring rebuke and people may need to come before you and, and repent. And in other hearts you'll bring encouragement for people. I pray that you will do what you will do in the hearts of people today. Thank you that you are with us. And Lord, we do say we want to be part of your great commission. We want to do the thing that you've called us to do. We want to wait for you because we believe, God, ultimately that way we see most fruit. We see most progress. Thank you. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.